So I'm just going to recap really quickly. We do a chapter a week in Ephesians. Uh, We're on chapter four this week. So in two weeks, we're done, girls. Y'all have been troopers to hang in there with these long lectures. So in chapter one, um, we realize that we're called, we're chosen, we have a magnificent salvation. In fact, it was called a mystery Uh, It was revealed to Paul by Jesus Christ that the Gentiles would also be saved by grace through faith. We're blessed, we're chosen, we're loved, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're lavished with grace. Chapter 2 reminds us who we once were. Apart from Christ, we were separated from God. We had no hope. Uh, We were far from God, but now we're near to God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We were destined for his wrath, but now we're his children. Um, We have a magnificent inheritance. um, All because of God's grace through faith. That word grace is just repeated over and over again. We're saved by grace through faith, not works. Chapter 3, Paul talks again about the mystery. The mystery, the mystery, which... um, to me is just saying, guys, wake up. This is important. Your salvation was an amazing treasure, and it had your name on it, and it's absolutely magnificent, and it's multifaceted. It's not, hey, you're just saved. It had so many components. We we talked about It's very clear. It says you're chosen specifically. You're predestined, but it's also by faith. What does all that mean? I've left it with, you know what? It is multifaceted. It's magnificent. It has many layers and components, and we should be absolutely blown away by the grace of God that gave us eternal salvation. Ah, It's amazing. (laughs) Everything is about the unfathomable unfathomable riches of Jesus. I just, I pray that we would understand the love of God working through Jesus Christ. Chapter four, we touched on that just a little bit last week. Um, We are to live a certain way because we are saved, not not to be saved. Big difference. I grew up in a religion that it was the opposite. This is how you live to be saved. And um, I am so, are you as grateful as I am for grace? It's magnificent. And we were chosen. We've been, um, we came to know salvation. And, and it's so that we can live a different way. I, I've been divorced twice. I've been married three times. Lots of things were in between all of that. <laughs> Um, and God saved me. He just pulled me out and saved me by, because of his magnificent grace. And so we ended last week. Um, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, what version are you using? I use the New American Standard Version. And we've talked about that a little bit um, Just to repeat, there are different versions of the Bible. And so New American Standard, I think that, uh, is it New English? Is that what it is, Bobby? No, the English. English Standard. Standard, And I think uh, the, the, uh, I like the New King James. Those are going to be really close to the original Greek. And so you're going to get really close to the original definitions. Um, if you get another version, I love other versions. NIV, I love the message. There's, there's just so many great versions that, that make it easy to understand, and I love it. But, but some of those words are not really translated um, close to the Greek. And you said it last week, Bobby, they are phrase by f- phrase rather than word by word. Is that what you said? 
So that just gives you, um, I want to give you Bible tips as we, as we go through this. So in um, chapter 4, verse 1, um, I'm just going to go ahead and recap and read it. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner, and walk means to live out your life, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, the, the point is one. <laughs> he wants us to be one. He, the God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they're one. There's just one faith. There's not many. There's not many paths to God in this world today. You're going to hear that. It's not politically correct to say um, what Jesus said. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. That's not popular. But we're not trying to be popular. I want to be a woman who knows what God said and understands what God says and then proclaim what God says. I'm not telling you what Debbie says. I'm telling you what God's word says. And um, I love it that he's so clear. He's not ambiguous. He is clear. Um, Unfortunately, in, in my lifetime, I, don't, I, I think y'all would probably all agree, I have never seen such a lack of peace and unity. I, 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 I can't even imagine what the future holds. I look at my grandchildren and, and great-grandchildren, and I just think, what on earth is, is ahead of them? Because the, we, we live in a time without, without peace. It's actually downright hatred, I think. Um, no unity, complete division, politics has divided us, sin has divided us. Um, and that's really sad because as we've been studying, God wants us to be one. And what was the oneness of, the, of God, Jesus, and the Spirit? Well, they all work together to accomplish God's will. That's the unity that we're looking for. And so, um, in love, we've got to add that word because God is all about love. But we don't, it's very, it's just... That is hard to find today. Um, we are to be one in Christ, not identified by our skin color or our politics, but by God's love for us, our love for him, and our love for others. That is how this body, as believers of Christ, should be living our lives so that we look different. All of you shook your heads when I said there's division in today. We should literally look different. The body of Christ, people should look at us and they might call us crazy, but, they, but we should be living in such a way that they would say, wow, but there is something different. Those people live differently. But we promote our agendas far more than we promote God's kingdom and God's will. The term one body is mentioned seven times in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 23 says the church, that is us as believers, we're his body. Chapter 2.16 said God made the Gentiles and Jews into one body in Christ. Chapter 4 verse 4 says there's one body of Christ. Chapter 4 verse 12 says we're to build up the body of Christ. Chapter 4 verse 15, Christ is the head. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16, we are his body. Four times in this chapter 4 is the word body mentioned. 
Chapter 5, 23, the church is Christ's body. Chapter 5, verse 30, we are the members of his body. Um, so anytime a phrase, we've said this before, is mentioned over and over again, that's to indicate this is really an important word. So the word body is very significant. It's a very significant doctrine. It's very significant to God. It should be significant to us. I want to read 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 12 through 27. This is a chapter about the body. <clears throat> For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are just one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God, God, I love that, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individual members of it. Wow, that, I love that. The body was mentioned 18 times in those 15 verses. 18 times. The body of Christ is huge a huge doctrine for us to understand. We only have one physical body, and ideally every part should be working together. That's what we all hope for, right? That's why we sit around over coffee and go, oh my gosh, my back hurts so bad. Because that one little part just, just takes over our whole thought process. If one party's not working right, the entire body suffers. Would you take a hammer and just bash your thumb on purpose. Would you do that? I sliced my finger yesterday and it just was dripping. I, I didn't do that on purpose. I can't even imagine getting a knife and just slicing. Can you imagine doing that? Because your entire body hurts if one little part of it is hurt and doesn't function properly. 
Would you ignore the growls and pain in your stomach and not eat for an extended period of time? No. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> um, why don't you do that? Well, because your entire body will lose energy. It needs nourishment. In fact, if you're going to do that for an extended period of time, your entire body will die. Not just your stomach. Your entire body will die. Would you cut your, your leg off just because your thigh is larger than you like? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> not really. Well, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. If you cut your leg off, your whole body will not function properly. You cannot do without your big fat thigh. <laughs> Would you cripple yourself in any way? No, I mean, people do that, but they're disturbed, deeply disturbed. They need to go to the hospital. We don't function well when one part of our human body hurts or is denied something it needs. Likewise, the body of Christ does not function well when we are not working well. When we bash each other with hateful words or ignore the cries and anguish of each other or cut each other off. I'm done with you. That's not appropriate for the body of Christ. God wants us to live as one, in unity with each other for one purpose, to carry out God's will and to help others do the same. I'm here to live for God's will and you're here to do the same, and I'm here to help you do that. That's what I'm doing today. I'm doing my part. A woman came up to me Sunday and asked how my child was doing. There was a prayer request recently. And I said, thank you so much for asking. Better, I think. But I would love prayer. And then she said, I know exactly what you're going through. And I said, oh, how old do you, your child suffers? And she said, no, that's me. And she was much older, and I, I, when she said it, I thought, I can see, because I've, I've had issues before, and I thought, I can see that on her little face, that she struggles with certain things. And I, but I thought, how precious. That really hit me today. What a little thing she did, just by telling me she was praying for my child, but in that she suffers, and yet still prayed for my child. She was doing her part in the body, and it, I thought of it all day on Sunday. What a blessing. That a stranger, someone I don't have coffee with, I, don't, I couldn't even find her name in the directory. I know she's there. I just don't know her name. But I thought, wow, that is just, she's doing her part, even in her own weakness. Does that make sense? We all have a part to play. So chapters 4 and 5 and part of 6 are, are going to tell us how to live as the body of Christ. We're going to find out some things we should be doing and some things we shouldn't be doing. It tells us how to live not so that we can be saved, but how to live because we are saved. We are children of light now, and so there's ways to live. I was thinking this week, Bobby, about surgery, and I bet you could explain it so much better, but I want you to picture the body like... Um, a, a hospital, the organization, if you went there for surgery, there's so many people involved in that. You show up, the greeter welcomes you, they take you to a little waiting area, then you sit there for a while, and then the little inputter, I don't know what you would call that person, but the computer, you know, come sit at the desk, what's your name, what's your date of birth, what's your insurance, you know, that person. What, you, what if you didn't have that? What a mess that would be. What if she didn't do her job properly and your insurance didn't get input? What a mess that's going to be. What if the greeter wasn't there to help you find where do you go you know I've shown up for my surgery um, the cleaning staff 
What a mess that would be if there's no clean. We're just going to do away with the cleaners. They're not that big of a deal. Well, then you'd get an infection. It would be an absolute mess. The nurses, the doctors, I can't even imagine the unity in an operating room that is required. Every person is playing their part. And if one little person does not do their job as expected, it could really mean a, be a matter of life and death. So that's a picture of the body of Christ. Um, I want to read Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 8. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So... Verse 7 says grace was given by Jesus. These gifts that each of us have, it's because of God's grace. Once again, it's God's free gift to us. Your gift, my gift, we were all given gifts, is a matter of grace. It's God's unmerited favor to us. Verse 8, um, this is always, um, it's just been a scripture that I've thought, what the heck does that mean? It says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So this is what the commentary said. I thought it really was interesting. Led captive means that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not forsake those who became his willing captives. That's you and me. I am, I am captive to Jesus. And that means the believers. But he protects those who are his even from heaven. Does that make sense? A host of captives means this, that when he ascended, he was in full possession of all believers and that their destiny was absolutely in his hands no matter what difficulty they would encounter in the execution of their task of spreading the gospel. Isn't that, I just love that. Verse 8 continues by saying, He gave gifts to men. Let me read verses 9 and 10. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. These two verses, 9 and 10, there's a couple of different commentaries, a couple of different ideas. One is that he descended into hell. I, I have heard that one. Others say this is simply saying... This is Jesus who once was in heaven and he descended to earth, was born and lived and he died and then he ascended back up into heaven. So that's really all I believe all these two verses are saying to us. Verse 10 says that he might fill all things, um, which means that he fully supplies the universe with his influence, his presence and his power. I just, I love that. Verses 11 and 12 says, and he gave some... As apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. What for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So last week, um, I gave you all a handout, a spiritual gift handout. Does anybody, I know my two new people won't have that and Larray won't. Does anybody else? Did you? Okay. So this is... A, um, do y'all want one? Yes, ma'am. Do you want one? It's really good. There you go. You got your hands full. There we go. 
And so, <clears throat> let's see here. Here it is. So this is huge. The spiritual gifts, we, we could actually spend our whole day and maybe even next week talking about spiritual gifts. We're not going to do that because um, you can only do so much in one week. But I do want y'all to look at this. This is kind of an on-your-own assignment. So some of you may have taken the spiritual gifts test last week. This is it right here. But there is a description of the gifts. I think it's a very good description in this particular one. The only one I disagreed with was apostleship. It's on the next page, and it says... The church sends apostles from the body, it's at the top of the page, to plant churches or be missionaries. Apostles motivate the body to look beyond its walls in order to carry the Great Commission. That's exactly what the apostles did. I would just simply say, I, from my studies, apostles are, were just 12, 13, because we know Judas um, broke away from the fold, but um, I don't believe there's any more apostles. Some churches do say this is Apostle Debbie Dittrich or whatever. I don't believe that's a gift. I think that was a one-time thing. So that's the only gift here that I thought they didn't get right. Um, but if you want to take your test um, this week, or if you did it last week, that is great. Did anybody take the test? Did, were you shocked or surprised? Or? You changed. And did you, that's so interesting. That is so great. What what was the change? What did um, the small group leaders took a really extensive with meetings? Yes. And so this this is my this would be my had points, and then this one they changed this time on high and mercy and giving and faith. Oh, I can so see that in you. Before it was um, responsibility. And when I took it before, I thought, oh, your past just comes up with those answers, you know, if you've been in administration. Yes. Uh, stuff, that just comes up. And yeah. gave that same excuse for less. It'd be fun to see him now. To see him now. That's so interesting. I do think, I was talking to somebody else that I think some of our gifts come out when we're older and we've learned more and I think that's really, really interesting. That's so neat. It was fun. And I'll just say one thing and we're going to move from what the gifts are and how to use them to why you should use them. But if you don't know your gift, sweet girl, go take a test and figure it out. How, how sad how our body is suffering because you, are, you either don't know your gift or you do know it and you're like, oh, well, nobody needs me. Yes, we do need you. I needed that precious saint on Sunday to tell me that she was praying. I needed that. My heart needed that. You need to fulfill the role that God has given you to fulfill. Y'all might say, oh, well, you're a teacher. Well, that's actually no big deal. What is your gift? I'm just doing what God called me to do. And there's, there's other gifts he's given me that no one ever sees. But what is yours? And you need to find out what that is. Um, and, and start praying, Lord, how do you want me to... And, and don't just go off half caught. Oh, well, I have the gift of mercy. This is how I'm going to do it. No, you, now you start praying. Lord, what is this gift? How do I use this gift? What do you want me to do? So it's very... It's really critical to the body of Christ. It would be like that operating room. Just how would you like to have heart surgery 
and everybody's in there going, I don't know, what is your job today? What are you, now have you been trained to operate? I cut them open, I don't know. Who, who does the scaffolding passer out? Who's the pa scaffold passer outer? You know, I mean, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby was, in nursing, was in nursing and operating rooms forever. But I mean, just how, ri how ridiculous that would be. So know what your gift is, pray to use your gift, and, you, and then use it. So, and sometimes he asks us outside of our gifts. I really believe that. And he equips you to do it. And if you're afraid, I just want to throw this out there. Um, if you're ever like, oh my gosh, I just can't do that. Uh, that's too much. I, I don't have what it takes. I can't possibly handle that. Good. If you could do it, guess what? We're going to, you're going to, if I could, if I felt totally confident to teach, guess what y'all would end up with? Ooh, you'd end up with Debbie Dittrich teaching you. Uh... It might be fun for an hour, but it's not going to be lasting. It's not going to be something eternal. Guess what? When Debbie Dittrich thinks she can't do this, but believes in her heart this is her gift and that God will do God, the Holy Spirit will do it through me, guess what you leave with? Something that's anointed, something that's of God. You get blessed with what God wanted to give you today. Do you see what I'm saying? So good. If you think you can't do it, that's almost always something that God is leading you to do. Do it by faith. Verse 12 says that um, he gave these gifts to us so that we would, it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Equipping the saints means to make us fully ready to serve God. For the work of service, these are gifts to build up the body of Christ. To equip all believers, we're to edify the body of Christ, meaning all believers, so that we can glorify God. This is so rich. We are here to help each other serve our God with our various gifts. Verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We are to build up the body so that we can all attain unity. Unity means united as one in our beliefs about Jesus. Unity does not mean the absence of conflict. That doesn't mean that we spend our time trying to make everybody happy. And that nobody's upset. That's not what this is talking about. Biblical unity here on earth, although we can expect no conflict in heaven. I look forward to that. But biblical unity here means that we're all working together to accomplish the will of God. That's all that means. Unity in the body means that I'm seeking to do God's will and I want to help you do God's will. Verse 13 says that we build up the body so that we can attain the knowledge of Jesus. How can we attain the knowledge of Jesus? We've said it over and over and over again, and it, it's going to come up several times today, only through his word. And what are you in if you're not in his word? Big, fat trouble. You're going to be in big, fat trouble if you're not in his word. Because you won't know what he has said. You won't know what he wants to do. You won't know him unless you know him through his word. Verse 13 says that that knowledge, um, what does it make you? It makes you a mature man, a mature woman, meaning fully grown in your Christian faith. What is a fully mature 
uh, Christian. It's someone who's fully grown in faith and virtue, who loves God and others. It's not just about knowledge, though. How many people do you know that really know a lot about God and they do not have love? That's not, that's not from God. It's all about love. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, verses 2 and 3, if you have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, he, he's talking about what we're talking about here. If you have these great gifts and you, you can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. As I have, I've, I've shared with you all about what God has done in my life through prayer <clears throat> this year, but it's not actually through prayer, it's through knowing him. I spend most of my days thanking God for who he is. I just, I'm obsessed with God. I, I cannot stop thinking about who he is. He is perfect. He is all loving. He is so kind. He has kind intentions. He knows all things. He's merciful. It's, I, I can't stop thinking about God, but it all comes from his word. But the more I do that, the more I love others. I, I, I'm not trying to love others. I've done that part. I've tried, oh gosh, I need to love this person better. I need to do better. That's never worked very well. But when I, my focus has been on God and now through this study, it's the same. It's even more so. The love for others just is almost automatic. So seek to know your God and love him and pray for that. That I, I think because you can't see him, it is hard. But pray, Lord, I want to love you like that. He will give that to you because he wants you to have that. Ephesians uh, 4, 14 through 16, let me read that. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Verse 14 says, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there. That's, that's the picture of waves. You know, you just, if you're caught in the ocean and there's waves, you're, it's just going to take you where it takes you. you. You don't have any control over that. Tossed means to fluctuate. How many people do you know fluctuate? Carried about by every wind, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Carried about means driven here and there. Deceitful doctrine is a huge problem in our culture right now. It's just huge. And some of the I've even, there's some good teachers that have now, they're coming up with this crazy doctrine. You know, there's no hell or there's, I, I wish there wasn't, frankly, but you don't, you don't get to just make up as you go along. Um, deceitful scheming means to wander away from the right way through artificial methods. The only place to find the right way is through his word. 
And what if you're in, if you're not in his word? You're in big, fat trouble because you won't know the difference between false doctrine or correct doctrine. You won't know. You will have no idea what God says. I was talking to a young man once, and um, it, it just made me so sad. And he said, um, I don't believe God really... Let, let, me, let me get this right. He said... Um, I don't believe it's as important to God that we all come away with one understanding of what this says as much as that we're at least reading it. I said, oh. He said, yeah, I, th I think there's many interpretations and they're all valid and whatever. He's just pleased that we're at least reading it. I said, well, you told me you wrote a letter to, it was actually to my granddaughter, um, last night and how y'all were both talking this morning how meaningful that letter was and how y'all really came to a clear understanding of each other's heart and he said right and I said so it sounds like you spent a lot of time on this letter and he said yeah I said would you have been happy if she had come away understanding something completely different than you intended and he just you know kind of looked at me but, but basically the point is God does want you to understand what God is saying and the Holy Spirit's job is to help you understand. Pray. There's lots of times I think, gosh, Lord, what in the world did you mean by that verse? And then I pray or I ask people. But he's, never, he's always answered me. It's, it's amazing. Verse 15 says that we're to speak the truth in love. Um, this means to speak the truth in love, to express truth in a loving manner. I see two issues in the body today with this verse. One is that that verse is used to justify whatever you want to say to another person. I want to tell you I think you're a jerk and I don't like you, but that's just because I'm speaking the truth in love. I mean, hey, you know, get over that. That's, that's biblical, right? I've, I've heard that. I don't know if y'all have heard that, but it's a, that's a really twisted way to use this particular scripture. Um, it's just justifying for you to speak your mind to someone. It does not build up the body. Um, it doesn't build up that person. And when we say build up the body, that does not mean that you're supposed to go around saying something to just say it. Like giving a trophy to everybody so nobody gets their feelings hurt. For me to just tell you, oh no, you're a wonderful person. Really, you're good. You are having an affair with your, you know, on your husband, but you're really good. That, that's not helpful. That's not building somebody up to not point out the truth. Um, we have an entire generation that is living as, as they're, they're entitled because they've been built up by parents and teachers with no basis for the buildup. Oh, you're good. Oh, you're fine. You're good just the way you are. Actually, you're not. There's some improvement that's needed. So we've, we've really lost something in there. But it's just as dangerous, and I think even deadly, this is something I, I don't see very often. Few people are actually willing to honestly speak the truth. This is the truth I'm talking about, by the way. Biblical truth in love anymore. We have been affected by the deceitful scheming. It's not PC to tell somebody, hey, what you're doing is off base here, girlfriend. We're scared. What, what's going to happen? Are they going to not like me? Are they going to attack me? We become so afraid. So we justify not speaking the truth in love because we say, oh, well, each, to each his own. I'm, I'm really not their Holy Spirit. Actually, that's not true. We've been told to speak the truth in love. 
it's time to prayerfully, even tearfully seek God's will and consider speaking the truth to others in love for the sake of building the body up. What if a doctor knew that you had cancer? He saw the blood test, he saw the x-ray or the MRI, and he said, gosh, I just really don't want to hurt her feelings. I mean, would that be horrible? I, I just, that would be, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine that. But I think that's what we see today, girls. You have people that are in your circle as a friend for very specific reasons, or your family. And, and by not speaking that truth in love, I think our body, the body is very ill today because of that. No one stands up and say, I love you too much not to tell you that you always talk about your husband. And that, that is just not God's plan. But I am sorry, I know you have a hard marriage, but let me pray for you. And let's, let's, what can I do to help you really still respect your husband, do what God wants you to do? I know you're in a hard marriage, but let's quit disrespecting him. Let me help you. Have you ever said that to somebody? Or have you ever suspected, um, gosh, I, she sure has coffee every week with this guy. What's that all about? Do you ever speak up and say, I'm, I don't want to do this, but I need to ask you some questions. Why are you meeting with Paul every single week and texting? I mean, I'm sit, I've been sitting here and you've, you've texted Paul twice and he's not your husband. And I'm very concerned about that. These things are necessary. I cannot count the number of times that people have said very hard things to me. And I am, I, I can tell you, I've, I am so grateful. I am so grateful. It's, it's been the most blessing, greatest blessing in my life. I'll just give you one example. This was a long, long time ago, almost 20 years probably. And um, my daughter had made some choices that were really hard. And so there's that term that people say, you know, we're, we're to hate the sin, but not the sinner. But frankly, you know, her decisions had hurt her daughters. And without realizing it, I had gone into hating the sinner. I'm just being honest. And I was really struggling. And every week was a new drama. Every single week was a new drama. Her daughters were suffering and she was suffering. It was just, it was hard. And a new drama had taken place. I believe one of the, the daughters was suicidal. And I called my girlfriend and I said, I'm just devastated. You won't believe what happened. Oh my gosh, I can't take this anymore. I just hate this. You know, just, you know, pouring my heart out. But something in my heart had been really just stirring for, I don't know how long, maybe a few weeks. And I thought, I think it might be me. And I said to her, I, this never stops. But I think maybe the problem is me, but I don't know what it is. And she said, in the sweetest voice, I know what it is. And I said, do you? And she said, I do. And I said, please tell me. I, it's like the x-ray. You see the x-ray. You see the cancer. Tell me what you see. Where's the break? And she said, Debbie, you hate your daughter. And I just burst into tears. She was right. I said, what do I do? Do I call her and say, I've struggled with your decisions and I'm now in the frame of mind of hating you? And she said, no, I don't think I would do that, but here's what I would do. And she blessed me. What a blessed friend. 
She used her gift to help me see what I could not see. I began praying. I asked God for forgiveness. I began really loving my daughter. Within about six months, my daughter said, Mom, something has changed between us, and I don't know what it is, but I love you so much. Thank you for the way you've been treating me. And I just thought, oh, God, only you. Do you see what we, we need that in the body of Christ? If you don't have a friend like that, pray. You need to say, Lord, give me a good friend who loves me enough to tell me the truth. Bobby Deckard's told me truth in my life. I thank God for her and Sharon and my other friends. Just, I'm blessed. Are you a good friend? Are you a good friend? And if you see things, that doesn't mean we go up to them with our hand on our hips saying, hey, I just need to tell you something. You are so out of line. No. Boy, boy, if you have something hard to tell somebody, you better be praying. I mean, you better be on your knees. You better be crying out to God. Uh, years ago, 30 some odd years ago, a friend was going to live with her boyfriend. She said, we're just going to go ahead and move in together. And I, I bet I cried for two weeks. And then I felt God wanted me to go tell her, talk to her. And she is a type A and I'm a type, oh, I don't want a dog. <laughs> and I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And it was with tears. I couldn't talk. I was crying so hard. And I, I just knew I'm going to have to obey God or disobey. This, this is what it is. And I went to her and I said, I would rather die than talk to you, but I have to obey my Lord and not my feelings. I love you with all of my heart. I get why you want to live with him. I get it. I, I get it. But I'm begging you as your sister in Christ who loves you, please don't do this. Please do not do this. And just went through some reasons with her. And I've done that before with lots of people. And I've never yet had anyone explode. Ever. And most have turned back to the Lord, thank God. But anyway, I just want to challenge y'all. That, that is your gift. The people that you are in uh, community with, you may have to say hard things. And uh, do not buy the deceitful schemes of today's world that, that you have to be PC and you can't say those things. That's a lie. That's not what God's word is saying. This is about making others right with God. It's not about you being right. It's about being right with God so that they will be fully functioning, healthy members of the body. Verse 15 says that we're to speak the truth in love and to grow up into Christ in all aspects, which means to increase in oneness or wholeness, to be whole in Christ. Verse 15 says Jesus is the head. He's... We are all subordinate. We're under Jesus. He is our head. How many heads are there on a body? Just one, right? What if you had two heads and they literally, you only had one body, but, but each of those heads were telling you different things. Your mind, their minds. You know, we're going to go uh, hang out on the street today and see if we can, you know, Find a man who'll pay us for things. And the other one was going, no, I want to go to church. You know, your body was just slung around, you know, by these two heads that were telling you things to do. There's only one head, and it's Christ. That's God's plan, and you're not the head. It's Jesus. <laughs> Verse 16 says, the body is held together by joints, um, I love this definition. Let me just read it to you. A joint is by which other members of the body are connected together. The Lord joins us to his body and to each other 
but every member must make its own contribution to the welfare of the whole body. Joints are very important among the members of Christ's body, even as joints are to the body. Spiritually, each joint receives its nourishment from Christ. Uh, Colossians 1.18 says that he himself might come to have first place in, ev in everything. We are held together in the body by Jesus and each other. And each other. We cannot function properly without joints in our body. I couldn't move, I couldn't do this without my joint. We cannot live and function properly without each other. Don't ever underestimate your importance in the body of Christ. I rewrote verses 14 to 16 using the definitions. I've done this frequently. Let me just read it to you. I really love how it, how it comes out. Our purpose is that so that we would no longer be unenlightened children. Children who fluctuate and are tossed and driven about here and there by the doctrines of men who trick you and deceive you by the artificial. But express the truth in a loving way. So we can grow and increase in all aspects into Jesus, who is the head, and able to direct us in all things. Do this so the entire body of Christ, that is all believers, come together as parts of Christ's body, connected and joined together, both to him and to others, receiving nourishment from Jesus. So he has first place in everything because he alone causes growth in each of us and builds us up. Isn't that just magnificent to use all those definitions? <clears throat> Let me read uh, verses 17 through 19. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having given themselves Having, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in that way. Verse 17, Paul is using the word we've used so much, walk. That means how you live your life out. Don't live your life like the heathens in the futility of their mind. Which means they live in vanity worthlessness and the emptiness of this present world as opposed to living in the fullness of things to come in eternity. Verse 18 says that their minds are darkened in their understanding. That means that they're spiritually and mentally confused in their thinking. Boy, we really see that today. And the worst part is they're excluded from the life of God. That's just heartbreaking. Excluded from the life of God means they're completely alienated from God. They're in a state of hostility towards God and God towards them. That is just so sad. Verse 18 says they're ignorant. That means they're ignorant of what? God's truth. And they, they don't have any ability to understand it. They can hear it, but they cannot understand it. And what are you in if you're not in God's word? You're in big, fat trouble. Their ignorance is due to the hardness of their heart, which means hard, blind, insensitive, callous hearts. My husband cooked for the first 20 years of our marriage, and 
he has calluses on his fingers. He can just pick up the hottest things and not flinch. Not me, but his, his hands just from doing it over and over again. And when you are doing sin and sin over and over and over again, you're just callous to that. When the word callous means to be insensitive to shame. And don't we see that today? There is no shame. There's no shame. Verse 19 says that it's due to their callousness. They've given themselves over to sensuality, which means insatiable desires and perversions and impurity. Um, Impurity means moral lewdness and greediness. We've talked about this definition before, and um, it always just pierces my heart. Greediness is the longing of the creature who has forsaken God to fill itself with the lower objects of nature. Mm. I rewrote these verses to just bring it all together. Do not live your life like the heathens, the unbelievers do. Their thoughts are worthless and empty compared to the fullness of Christ. Their understanding is dark. And they are spiritually confused and alienated from God because of their ignorance and because of their hard and sensitive blind hearts. They've become insensitive to shame and the pain of their sin is gone from them because they've given themselves over to their insatiable desire for pleasure and they practice all moral lewdness and their longing has caused them to forsake God so they can fill themselves with the lower objects of nature. It just makes me want to cry. Yes, ma'am, Lorraine. Um, I'm just thinking about Romans 1. Mm, yes, exactly. There is. Because they know who the Lord is, but it says that they suppress the righteousness. There you go. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. Even if you, and it says in the so that you may be renewed in verse 23, the spirit of your mind. Yes. That's right. In a way that will That's right. Basically get to what they are suppressing. Yes. They know even though his his God then, his Yes. 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 That's right. Yes. Thank you. That is, that's absolutely correct. That's absolutely, and that does tie it all together. Um, And don't, you said just speak the truth. Not a sermon, but a word or two. And don't worry about whether they respect the Bible. I've read that. I disagree. Some people say, well, this generation doesn't even know the word. They don't respect the word. They don't believe it's the word of God. That's not our problem. Just a word. The word is living and active. It will convict. We don't have to convince them of anything. We just need to know the truth. And if God is leading us to, and that's not always the case, 
I have some neighbors that I dearly love, and their lifestyle is completely different. They're, they do not know the Lord. So I don't preach, um, but I do occasionally just say a word or two. Just I, I live my life out loud, you know, well, let's pray before this meal, or just something simple, or and, um, and let God do what God will do. I don't have to worry about, well, they don't respect the word or know the word. I just live it out loud. Verses 20 through 24 says, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Um, verse 21 says that only truth is found in Jesus. There's only one place where truth is found. That's in Jesus. And if you're not in the word, you're not going to know that. Verse 22, Paul says for them to lay aside their former ways. The word lay aside is literally a clothing term. It's like taking off a coat. So if I had a coat on and I got really hot, what would I do? I would take it off so that I can now be cool. And so Paul is saying, if you find yourself in sin, just take it off. And that's in our mind. If you find yourself seeking, sinking into your former ways, we can take it off. If you're really angry, you can take, you can decide, you know what? I'm not going there. We can decide that. The lust of deceit are carnal appetites that are due to delusion and lies. Isn't that, I love that definition. And we can just take it off. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. That means to think new thoughts. How do you get new thoughts? The word. I was an immoral woman and crazy. This Dysfunctional just was my middle name, Debbie Dysfunctional. And this word changed me. I began to think new thoughts instead of my old way of thinking. It's our source of truth. Verse 24 says, put on the new self. That's us. That's the new creature we became at the new birth. We're created in righteousness and holiness. We literally, through the Holy Spirit, have power to put off the old self when it raises its ugly head and to put on the new person. We have that power in Christ. We don't have that power apart from him, but we do have that power. That power makes us capable and able. It's the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. If I'm angry and one thought leads to another and I want to just let go on someone and then I suddenly realize that's not how Jesus wants me to respond. In fact, he says, I know what his word says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So when I remember that, my anger is not, um, does not conform with what God wills, I literally can take it off. I can make a decision. I'm not going to act on this. There's nothing wrong with being angry. It's, it's how you act on that. We don't have a lot of control over being angry or feeling angry. First, I think differently. Then I act differently. Then I feel differently. We want to act on feelings. And, and God is saying, no, start thinking differently, believing differently. Then you're going to act differently. Then you'll feel different. Verses 25 through 32, let me just read some of these. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. 
Um, we're to lay aside falsehood. That means all lying. We're to speak truth. That's the word of God. And what are you in if you're not in his word? You're in big, fat trouble. Because we're members of one body. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's verse 26. And do not give the devil an opportunity. We can be angry. That is our human nature. It's what we do after, once we're angry, that's the problem. We are not to sin in our anger. We are not to give our anger an opportunity. Um, it gives the devil an opportunity, excuse me. Do you know what that word opportunity means? It means to make room for the devil. Can you imagine if you knew a person was a murdering rapist? What, would you go up to him and say, you know, I'm going to make a room ready for you in my home. I've changed the sheets. I've cleaned the room. Come on in here. Could just, just come on. You can stay in my, my guest room. Would, you, would anybody do that? Why then would we make room for the enemy with our anger? Letting the sun go down on our anger. Many times I've um, been angry, and, but now I really fight that. I used to have a terrible temper, a throwing television across the room kind of temper. Isn't that, can you all imagine me doing that? Smoking two to three packs of cigarettes a day. I was really pretty crazy. Um, but it gives the enemy an opportunity. And what I've learned is I'm not going to give in to that. I don't want to make room for the enemy. I know what he does to me, torments me. And if I have an unresolved issue with somebody, I just resolve it. Even if I'm not, if we're not on the same page, I at least go, to, go before I go to bed, I say, look, I, I love you. I love you, and we're going to work it out tomorrow. Let's, I'm just going to go to bed right now. But you know what? I am not, I refuse to go to bed angry anymore. You wake up and you're, my, at least me, I don't know about you, but my mind it, it cannot let go of that situation or that person and then tomorrow it's worse. Why? Because I've given the devil an opportunity and I'm not doing that anymore. I absolutely refuse to do that. Verse 28 says, Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may share with those Shares, have something to share with him who is in need. Um, again, it's all about building up the body of Christ. So I'm supposed to not steal and I'm supposed to work so that I can share. It's always about others. The word steal, by the way, in Greek is klepto. Isn't that fun? Kleptomaniac, someone who steals. Um, Y'all have heard about the young man, Walter, that we ministered to. He was in prison for several years and supposedly came to the Lord, and, and maybe he did, um, and got out on parole about two and a half years ago, and um, he's back in prison. Um, but he was a thief. I think this is really interesting. And when he was out on parole, he called me during the summer two years ago, and he said, Mom, so, he was just shaking. His voice was just shaking. And he said, Mom, somebody has broken into my house. And I said, really? I was just, you know, devastated for him. Some things were gone and torn up. And I said, I'm so sorry. But Walter actually was a thief and had robbed people at gunpoint. And I, 
I didn't do it that day because it was inappropriate, but a couple of days, he could not let go of that. He was just chewing on that for days. And so I just, you know, I'm a mom. And so I said, I, I wanted him to have a learning situation and speak the truth in love. And I did pray about it. And I said, sweetie, I want to ask you something. I know you're really struggling and you should be struggling. Being robbed is a terrible violation. But how do you feel? Do you see a correlation between you being robbed and how this has made you feel and your victims, the people you robbed at gunpoint? And he was angry. It really, that, that really showed me his heart. And he said, absolutely not. I never robbed or broke into a house. I just robbed businesses. Because we all know that's totally different. The clerk behind, you know, that not that different when they're just a clerk behind the the counter, you know, no problem robbing them, right? I mean, isn't that how twisted in your mind? I just robbed businesses. I'm fine. This is different. This is my possessions. I'm a, I'm a person. I just thought, wow, you just don't get it, do you? And he didn't. So he's back in prison because he had a callous, hard heart. Verse 29, let um, no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. We're going to skip that and go to verse 30. No. <laughs> ah, gosh, that is so convicting. Um, let's see. Let me go back here. Um, unwholesome means putrid, rotten, foul. Ouch. To edify means something that's spiritually profitable so that we can give grace, which is unmerited favor to those who hear us. And again, it's to edify others, to build up the body. We've got to start thinking of a whole. Is what I'm fixing to say, it may be true, but is that really going to edify somebody? And we really need to think about these things the words of our mouth. Verse 30 says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve means to cause grief and mourning. According to one commentary, it says, Grieving the Holy Spirit happens when believers do not allow the Spirit to be seen in our actions, when we do what we know is wrong, when we suppress or quench the Spirit, when we do not allow the Spirit to reveal Himself the way He wants to. And only people can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person and He mourns and grieves. And some of the verses in Ephesians, these are the, some of the things He would grieve about. When we live like the pagans, when we lie, when we're angry, when we steal, when we curse, when we're bitter and unforgiving or sexually immoral. To grieve the spirit is to act in a sinful manner by doing what he's not asked us to do. Um, or what he's asked us not to do. Verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all matter all malice. Bitterness means bitter hatred and extreme wickedness or extremely hurtful, destructive ways. It's highly offensive to God and destructive to others. Bitterness 
Bitter roots produce bitter fruits. I thought that was a good phrase. Hebrews 12.15. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Here we go with grace again. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by, by it many are defiled. Bitterness defiles many people. Um, the word trouble means to disturb others. To defile means to defile another with your ungodly vices. When we're bitter, we come short of the grace of God. And we disturb and defile others. We're to put it away just like taking off a coat. That doesn't mean you won't be angry or bitter. But we take it off once we realize we have it on. Wrath is an enduring state of mind. It's a character of anger. And it would include outburst of anger. Anger is wrath. So they're really closely related. And it too is a state of mind. I thought this was an interesting quote. Aristotle said that anger is desire mixed with grief. Just think about that. When you're angry, isn't it because you're really sad you didn't get what you wanted? You're grieved. And now I'm angry. Isn't that what, what that's all about? Clamor is tumult. It's like an angry mob. Isn't that... I just think of all the angry mobs we see on television. It's literally fueled by the enemy. It is fueled by hell itself. Slander is to ruin someone's reputation. Malice is to desire to do evil to others and comes from being inherently evil. Boy, those things. Oh, ouch. Uh, verse 32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Kind to one another means to furnish what is needed. That's a good word, isn't it? Furnish what is needed, good-natured and gentle. I love that. Tender-hearted means full of compassion, pity for the ills of others. God is tender-hearted. He has pity for us. Forgiving means to graciously forgive another's sin because God has forgiven you. Um, it's amazing. Um, next week, we're going to do chapter 5 and talk about one of your favorite subjects, how a wife should submit to her husband. I'm going to make it your favorite. You're going to love it. I swear. I promise you. It's going to be a great lesson. <laughs> These chairs better be full. That's right. That's right. I'm going to be speaking the truth in love if you don't show up next week for chapter. It's honestly, I think it's eye-opening. I think you're going to love it. You're going to go, wow, I didn't have this right. Uh, in chapter 6 um, is on, we're going to really focus on warfare. Um, and I finished writing the book of the lessons. I want to um, tweak chapter 6. So thank you all for praying for me. There's been a lot of writing. And um, I'm a little more free now to do some things with my husband and play. <laughs> so that's fun. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts? Yes, ma'am, Miss Judy. Anyway, 
So I was stuck on that verse because God wanted me stuck. Wow. Wow. And the second part, according to the need of the moment. Mm. Well, I was thinking when you're involved in conversation with a person or in any kind of uh, exchange of different opinion. Mm hmm. Some of us are quick-spirited, and we got to say it. I think we have to say yes, it. Yes, yes. Okay. But this says, after defining what should come out of your mouth, uh, according to the need of mm. And that just, I mean, in other words, just stop. And hear what God says. Usually he says to me, be quiet, keep your mouth shut. I know it. Oh. So that it will give grace to yes. those who hear. Yes. And just silence will give a whole lot more grace. <laughs> That's right. That's it really takes true. A minute there, it takes a moment, a second, yes. to think this is not going to be edifying. Yes. Yes. This is just your little opinion that you think you need to tell it. Yes. And so, I mean, it seemed like he was on the phone a long time. <laughs> and he was talking to me while he was on the phone. But I thought about that. According to the need of the moment. Right. Right. See, okay, somebody had a phone. Huh? I asked every display had a phone. Edifying, I, I don't know if I said it, but I... But basically, that means um, to build up that which is good for you. Let me go back and see if I wrote the definition. What verse is that? 29? I didn't write edify. I wonder why. Uh, it's to build up. Yeah. And to their needs. Let me look at it. You have to stop and be quiet and think, well, what is the need right here of the moment according to this other person? And the Holy Spirit will, will show you if we ask him. Let me give you a good example of this. My granddaughter worked for a man who um, was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. I won't go into a lot there, but there were some scary things that were going on. And I was becoming, I'm going to see if I can look up that word real quick. I was becoming more and more concerned for her. And there were lots of other things involved here. Um, one was stalking. Anyway, lot, lots, of, lots of things involved here. I was very concerned, rightfully so, for her safety. It wasn't just my imagination. She, there was lots to worry about there. On the other hand, she's a single mom, a beautiful single mom. On the other hand, she was being offered, pursued by another company, for almost twice the salary. Um, and so in Debbie's mind, <laughs> Debbie the Holy Spirit had decided she needs to take this other job and get away from this person. You know, what is wrong with you? This must be God. And I knew the minute that came in my mouth that was manipulative because I wanted her to take this other job. I was trying to convince her this was God offering her this job and that I knew that that was not the case. But she was telling me something he'd recently done and I just 
couldn't hold my tongue and I, and I was scared. To me, it was like a burning. In fact, I used that example. This is a burning building. What is wrong with you? You need to get out. This is not just, you know, something that's bad. This could actually mean your life. This man is dangerous. What is, I was really upset because I was afraid. What is wrong with you? Well, Sarah has so trained herself in the Lord she immediately reacted to, that's me being in the flesh. I've I'm, I'm got an outburst of anger going on here. My words are not edifying. They're demanding that she do it now my way. That's the flesh. And she is so, so attuned to that that she immediately, you know, re- rejected what I was saying and said, well, Nanny, I think we need to quit talking about this. Well, that made me even more mad. You are not listening to me. What is wrong with you? You know how much I love you. You always listen to me. Why aren't you listening to me now? So we, we hung up. It was not a good call. I cried all night. And, but I, I could feel conviction the next day. I was afraid for her life, but I prayed about that. And I said, Lord, I, I know I'm right. There's, there's not any question about whether I'm right or not. Uh, not about this other job, but about leaving the one she did have. I didn't know what God's will was on taking the other one, in all honesty. But um, I said, what did I do wrong, Lord? I know you're, you're telling me I did something wrong. Show me what that is. And I mean just as clear as a bell, this is what my lesson was. It was as if he said to me, what you said, what you said was not the problem. It was true, but you should have asked me what you do with that truth. Is it the right time? Is it the need of the moment? Do you wait and pray? Was it in love? Or was it in fear? Was it in control and manipulation? That, in fact, what I did, now listen to this, is very important. I could have. It did not work out that way, and she did leave, and there's an open stalking case to this very day on this whole situation. But, so it was dangerous. I was, that wasn't made up in my head. God had given me discernment, but I had never said, okay, now you've shown me the truth. What do I do with that truth? When do I tell her? Do I even tell her? Do I just pray? What, what do I do, Lord? What would be most effective? And here's what he showed me that's very dangerous. Had, had she kept with her first reaction, what if she had completely cut me off? I actually could have put her in a lot greater danger. I'm not listening to her. And then she wouldn't have heard what really was true and what really had put her in danger. Does that make sense? You can actually do more danger, even if it is the truth, by not praying and waiting for the need of the moment and waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead you. I could have actually put her in much more danger. Does that make sense? That's huge. So we must pray over these things. Just because you see something doesn't mean you need to say something. And if you do need to say something, pray. How do I say it in love? How do I say it controlled by the Spirit? How do I say in, in a manner that will um, give grace? And I'm looking up the word edify here. Um, so those, those are really good points. Let's see what edify is. I'm lo- using blue letter Bible. Let's see. It says to build, oh, to build a house, erect a building, to build up from the foundation, to restore by building, rebuilding, repairing. Uh, It's a metaphor to promote growth in Christian wisdom, affection, grace, virtue, holiness, blessedness. So to promote growth in 
wisdom, to promote growth in affection, to promote growth in grace, virtue, holiness, and blessedness. I picked up on the word restore. Mm-hmm. Because I kept breaking it down to edit. Mm-hmm. That's not complimenting. Mm-hmm. The word edit. Yeah, to take out. So... So it's to point out something in order to restore and build up. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a good question. I can't believe I missed that word. Any other questions or comments?